Welcome to the Shift Gold Friday Gold Wrap, your overview of news impacting the precious metals markets. It's Friday, September 1st. I'm your host, Mike Meharry. Thanks for tuning in. You know, we live in an upside-down world where bad news is good news. We got some pretty dismal economic data on Wednesday, and stocks rallied on that news as if it was good. Now, I guess the silver lining is gold also rallied along with stocks uh, on this same bad economic data. We now have gold securely over that $1,900 an ounce mark, so uh, I guess that's good. But it's just bizarro world when you get this negative economic data that really should weigh on people's projections for the economic future. And everybody thinks, oh, this is great news. And this only makes sense in a world where central bank monetary policy is the driving force in the economy. And, you know, everybody just assumes that weaker economic data means the Fed can back off the inflation fight and maybe, just maybe, we'll get our easy money back. I mean, that's what it's all about, right? Easy money is the most important thing. Nobody gives a crap about the actual economy. Nobody cares about production and the health of companies. Most investors aren't paying any attention to economic fundamentals at all. It's all about that easy money drug. As long as the junkie can get his fix, everybody's happy. Now, most people are happy when they're high, right? It's great being high until the crash. But, you know, in case you didn't know, being on drugs isn't exactly a healthy lifestyle. Being happy because you're high, yeah, it feels good, but it's not a recipe for a long-term, satisfying, productive life. And running an economy with artificially low interest rates and money printing isn't a recipe for human flourishing any more than drug addiction is a recipe for prosperity. But easy money is a great way to blow up bubbles, create a fake, a fake wealth effect, and maintain an illusion of prosperity. Of course, until the bubbles pop. But that's where we are today. I mean, people have accepted Federal Reserve intervention as basically the norm. I mean, they even see it as necessary. Now, personally, I don't think central banks should tinker with the financial system at all. They shouldn't be setting interest rates. I actually believe in free markets, and that includes a free market for money. But even if you accept the idea that maybe sometimes the central bank needs to step in during a crisis or you know, to do things to, to take the, the extreme highs and lows out of the system, even if you buy that, we're way beyond that point, right? I mean, where we are today... Basically, the Federal Reserve is the U.S. economy. What the Federal Reserve does is running the markets. It's Maybe I shouldn't say it's running the economy. It's running the financial system. It's running the markets. It's running Wall Street. But you know who's not buying the BS? The average consumer. You know, People can be swayed by White House talking points and talking heads on MSNBC for a while, but 
they live in the real world, and rhetoric can't paper over the fact that their standard of living is declining, that their dollar buys less and less, that they're not flourishing, that they're basically suffering every time they go to the grocery store or pull up to the gas pump. They know. They see their bank account. They see what's going on with their wallet. Talking heads and politicians may be able to fool folks for a while, but it's only going to last so long. Like Reality is ultimately going to slap people in the face, right? So, one of the data points that caused the aforementioned stock market rallies was a big drop in consumer confidence. In fact, consumer confidence cratered in August, falling from a downwardly revised 114.0 last month to 106.1 in August. The projection was for a slight increase to 116. And this, of course, is from the conference board. Now, Americans don't think the economy is doing well currently. The present situation index, which is based on consumers' assessment of current business and labor market conditions, fell to 144.8. That was down from 153.0. And they don't think the economy is going to do well in the near future. The expectations index, which is based on consumers' short-term outlook for income, business, and labor market conditions, declined to 80.2 in August. That reversed July's sharp uptick to 88.0. Now, it's interesting to note that an expectations index below 80 generally signals an impending recession sometimes, uh, sometime within the next 12 months. Now, interestingly, if you dig into the internals, price inflation was the primary reason for tanking consumer confidence. Big drops in the CPI in May and June may have fooled a lot of people into thinking that price inflation was beat. I think people heard about those numbers and thought, cool, we're good. We're out of the woods. But all the sketchy data in the world can't cover up the reality people experience when they go to the grocery store or the gas station. And based on the CPI data for July, it's clear that price inflation might be down, but it certainly isn't out. And, you know, here's the other thing. I think when you talk about inflation dropping, I think a lot of people think, oh, prices are coming down. No, no, no. That's not what we're saying. When they say inflation is dropping, they just mean that prices are going up less quickly than they were before. They're still going up. They're certainly not going down. So you're still going to the grocery store and paying way more than you were a year ago. And on top of that, prices are still rising, maybe just not quite as fast as they were rising this time last year. So it appears consumers are starting to realize that the official numbers didn't really reflect the reality. And, you know, maybe they're starting to figure out that the Fed is never getting back to that 2% target. Now, there's also waning optimism about jobs out there. Fewer consumers said jobs are, quote, plentiful, and more said jobs are, quote, hard to get. According to the conference board, quote, hard data confirmed that employment gains have slowed, overall wage increases are less generous compared to a year ago, and the average number of weeks of unemployment is ticking upward. Now, oddly, despite waning consumer confidence and less confidence about the job market, more Americans have bought the soft landing narrative. Consumers' perceived likelihood of a U.S. recession over the next 12 months actually ticked down to the lowest level uh, that's been recorded thus far in the year. 
Now, this is probably because a majority of the mainstream pundits and prognosticators keep saying a recession isn't likely. I think people are listening to that. They hear it on the news and they're thinking, oh, well, okay, maybe a recession isn't likely. That's what the, the, uh, the experts are telling me. Now, it's a little different from inflation, right? I mean, when you go to the grocery store, you know prices are going up. It's hard to know whether there's actually a recession brewing, right? It's a bunch of wonky economic blah, blah, blah. So I can see why people might buy that we've escaped the recession because they keep hearing it over and over again. The average person doesn't know any better. They're going to believe the mantra until they see the reality with their own two eyes. In other words, they'll believe there's going to be a recession when we start to have a recession. But, you know, there are plenty of reasons to doubt the likelihood of a soft landing. I actually gave 10 reasons in an article I wrote over at shiftgold.com slash news this week, and I'll link to that in the show notes page if you're still wondering why I'm so convinced that the soft landing is not going to be a thing, check out that article because it outlines many of the reasons uh, to think that a recession is actually still in the works. Okay, so we are heading into the Labor Day weekend. Labor Day is on Monday, and that means you're going to hear a lot of talk about workers and their plight. And you'll also hear a lot about unions and how unions have solved so many problems for labor. Um, I've actually already seen somebody talking about how unions gave us the weekend. I hate to burst your bubble, but this is absolute BS. Uh, It is union propaganda. Increasing productivity gave us the five-day work week. If unions could just like impose wages and working week links and make workers' lives better, you know, why don't they go do that in a third world country? I'll tell you why, because they can't. People will die if they don't work seven days a week because they lack the productive capacity to supply their needs in just five days. Now, because of great increases in productivity helped along by technology, uh, we are in a situation where, yeah, you can have a five-day work week, maybe even a four-day work week, because we are much more productive. We can be very productive in that small amount of time. But it's not because of these union policies. You know, here's the thing. Economics is an unforgiving mistress. So you can't just impose your way to prosperity. It doesn't work. Nevertheless, progressives will use Labor Day as a platform to promote all kinds of government policies to improve the lives of working people. You know, they'll spin off of that, well, unions gave us the weekend, and they'll say, well, we need even more government policies to make the lives of laborers better. But here's the thing. We don't need better government policies. You know what we need? We need better money. The biggest problem facing American workers is a devaluing currency that steals a little bit of their purchasing power every single day. And why is the value of money declining? Because monetary policy devalues our currency on purpose. And that means less purchasing power for you and me. Simply put, when the government creates money out of thin air, usually through a central bank, but when that happens, a dollar no longer buys the same amount of stuff it once did. Quantitative easing, which is basically money printing, and artificially low interest rates debase the currency, and the Federal Reserve has engaged in this practice for decades. 
Yes, I'm talking about the same easy money policies that the boys and girls on Wall Street are now addicted to. I mean, here's the thing. All of the money printing and the Fed intervention and all of this monetary policy and financial manipulation, it's great for Wall Street. For Main Street, not so much. You know, the American worker is basically the addict's battered spouse. The Wall Street people are partying it up with their easy money drug, and then they come home and beat the snot out of their hapless significant other. Oh, and let's not leave the politicians out of this equation, right? The politicians and the government people, they're partying down with the Wall Street people because easy money is the fuel that runs the biggest government in history. So, government and Wall Street are walking hand in hand. They're devaluing your currency. They're stealing your purchasing power. They're stealing your wealth. But they're partying it up and taking all that money to the bank. The ugly reality is the government needs the central bank to create money, inflation, and to manipulate interest rates, which is the cost of money, in order to prop up its borrowing and spending. The kind of spending and accompanying budget deficits would be absolutely impossible if the Federal Reserve was not keeping interest rates lower than they otherwise would be and monetizing the debt through quantitative easing. It's, here's the reality. The Federal Reserve is basically the engine that powers the biggest, most powerful government in history. Again, they're working hand in hand. Wall Street and government. The central bank and government. This is basically government policy at workers' expense. So, forgive me if I don't trust that same government to help me out. Now, we felt the results of all of this in the form of rampant price inflation after the Fed created trillions of dollars out of thin air to cope with the government shutdowns during the pandemic. Again, government trying to solve a problem government created, right? Government said, you can't go to work, so we're going to fix that problem by printing a whole bunch of money and handing it to you and patting you on the head and saying, there, there, we fixed the problem. It's all okay. And then we got price inflation, which they tried to tell us was transitory, and now we know clearly was not and is not. But, you know, even when price inflation is, quote-unquote, under control, the government and the Fed continue to steal 2% of your purchasing power every single year, right? 2% is the goal. They want to devalue your money at 2% every single year. Now, the powers that be are going to tell you that inflation doesn't really matter that much because wages go up along with prices and everything just kind of balances out. But as we saw over the last year and a half, wages don't go up nearly as quickly as prices. Real wages have lagged behind through this entire inflationary period. Workers are always playing from behind. Now, I don't mean to... to you know, try to stir up some kind of class envy and, you know, oh, Harry slamming on Wall Street. It's not really that I have a problem with Wall Street. I don't have a problem with investing and stocks and finance and all of that stuff. What I have a problem with is the fact that we basically have a cartel uh, headed up by the Federal Reserve that enables a lot of things to happen that wouldn't happen otherwise. Again, I am a free market guy. I want free market in money. I want free market in uh, actual markets. Uh, you know, free market on Wall Street. I love free markets. What we have is not free market. It is manipulated. 
completely manipulated by the Federal Reserve and, and by these government people. And of course, when people have the power to do that, they're going to do it to their advantage. They're going to enrich themselves, and they're not going to worry about you. I mean, they're going to tell you that they're going to help you insofar as it helps politicians get votes, but they don't really care about us, right? So, when they tell you that inflation doesn't matter, know that inflation does matter. Price inflation is hitting you hard. Your wages are not keeping up with the prices of goods and services. So, what I'm going to do to close out the show is I'm actually going to give you two examples that show just how much bad money hurts workers. In the spirit of Labor Day, we're going to drill down to the actual problem and what we could do to actually help workers. So, before President Richard Nixon closed the gold window and eliminated the last vestiges of the gold standard, workers' hourly compensation generally went up with increases in productivity. If you chart it on a graph, you'll see productivity going up and you'll see wages going up at almost the exact same rate. Those lines are are right there together. The more people produced, the more people could consume which is as it should be. Then in 1971, Nixon ordered Treasury Secretary John Connolly to uncouple gold from its fixed $35 price and suspend the ability of foreign banks to directly exchange dollars for gold. This was basically the last links to the gold standard. The gold standard was... uh, Its demise was started a long time before. I mean, we can go back to Franklin Roosevelt. Really, the creation of the Fed uh, started us on a a downward path. And then Roosevelt took many steps, but it was Nixon that finally severed that final link. And, you know, it's kind of funny. During a national television address, uh, this was August 15, 1971. So, we're actually getting close to the, uh, or or we, we just passed the anniversary of this inauspicious occasion. Nixon promised that the action would be temporary in order to, quote, defend the dollar against speculators. But, of course, this turned out to be a lie. The president's move permanently and completely severed the dollar from gold and turned it into a pure fiat currency. The dollar, that is. So, with the dollar floating free from all restraints, the central bank and the Federal Reserve could create money at will. And they did. Now, when he announced the closing of the gold window, Nixon said, quote, Let me lay to rest the boogaboo of what is called devaluation. And he promised, Your dollar will be worth just as much as it is today. This was also a lie. The dollar has lost more than 85% of its value since Nixon's decision, uh, and that's based on a CPI calculator. The purchasing power of a 1971 dollar is equal to less than 14 cents today. So, not surprisingly, the the devaluation of the dollar has crushed real wages. Prior to the end of the gold standard, hourly compensation tracked higher, right along with productivity, as I've already said. After 1971, wages flatlined, even as productivity basically continued at the same rate. So here are the numbers. Between 1948 and 1973, productivity rose 96.7%. Hourly compensation rose 91.3% in that same period. So, Virtually identical. Hourly compensation just slightly below productivity. Then between 1973 and 2014, productivity increased by 72.2%. So we've, we've had a slowdown in productivity increases. But 
hourly compensation basically just flatlined. It's only rose 9.2% in that time period. So if you look at it on a chart, you can see productivity still going up at roughly the same rate, you know, slowing a little bit. But then you see 1971, you basically see uh, hourly compensation just go into a flat line. So there is a pretty clear correlation between sound money and earnings. Now, we know this intuitively, right? I'm sure you've seen the memes. Uh, you know, you'll see a picture of a house in like 1960, and, uh, and they'll point out that a single earner could support an entire family in a nice home, one job, you know, the wife stays home, kids go to college. Those days are gone thanks to bad money. So let's look at this another way. We could also see the impact of government monetary policy on workers when we look at the minimum wage before and after silver was removed from U.S. coinage. Now, minimum wage is always a big issue around Labor Day. You know, it, it, a few years ago, it was fight for 15. I think we're now fight for 20. Um, you know, inflation. Uh, but that's one of the policies that, that labor advocates really like to push. We need a higher minimum wage. Now, we could go into a whole other podcast on the impacts of the minimum wage on low-income earners. Uh, generally, minimum wages are not good for low-income earners. Um, but we're not going to get into that. I just want to look at the way the devaluation of money has impacted wages. So, prior to 1965, all U.S. dimes, quarters, and half dollars were primarily made out of silver. All of that changed when President Lyndon B. Johnson signed the Coinage Act of 1965. And basically, this set into motion five decades of currency debasement that continues to this day. Since the passage of this act, U.S. coins no longer contain any silver at all. Instead, the Treasury mints coins that are made out of composites, they're primarily copper, uh, and then they're, they're, they have uh, a colored metal made of uh, alloy that's bonded to the uh, core. So today we call pre-1965 dimes and quarters and a half dollars junk silver. But we really should call the modern coins junk, because they truly are. So, kind of like Nixon, Johnson promised that removing silver would have no impact on the value of U.S. coinage. He said, quote, The Treasury has a lot of silver on hand, and it can be and it will be used to keep the price of silver in line with its value in our present silver coin. He was lying, just like Nixon was. When LBJ signed the act in 1965, the value of a dollar was almost exactly the same as it had been in 1792. Yes, I said 1792. That's 0.77 ounces of silver. By 1980, the value of the dollar had plunged to 0.02 ounces of silver. Today, a dollar is valued at about 0.06. So, we've dropped from an average of around 0.77 to a low of 0.02, um, and then a little bit of a rebound, but still at 0.06. So, a massive devaluation. So, what does any of this have to do with the minimum wage? Well, consider this. In 1964, the minimum wage was $1.25. So, in other words, a minimum wage worker earned five silver quarters for every hour they worked. 
Today, of course, you can't even buy a cup of coffee with five quarters at face value. But today, the silver melt value of those five quarters, because remember, the quarters in 1964 had silver in them. The melt value of those five quarters today is over $22. So that's a $22 per hour minimum wage. If they were still paying workers in silver coins, silver quarters, it'd be $22 an hour, even if the minimum wage was a buck 25. Now, let's flip it around. Look at it the other way. Today, it takes 88 quarters to pay a $20 an hour minimum wage. If you paid that in 1964 silver quarters, the value of the metal would be something in the neighborhood of $390. So this vividly illustrates currency debasement. In terms of purchasing power, the value of silver has remained relatively stable, but the value of a dollar has shrunk. In other words, you can still basically buy the same amount of stuff in silver, also true of gold, as you could 30, 40, 50 years ago. But of course, you cannot buy the same thing, uh, the same amount of stuff using the same number of dollars. Um, I think I talked about this in a show a while back, uh, looking at the uh, price of a suit in gold. And it's basically, a suit is actually cheaper in ounces of gold today. And talking about a fine, high-quality suit. It's slightly less gold required to buy a fine suit today than it was in 1900. So silver and gold retain their purchasing power. Fiat currency devalues. Why? Because they just keep making more of it. They just keep printing money and showering it on us. And then we wonder why our uh, standard of living continues to decline and decline and decline. Now, in a sane world, workers' purchasing power increases along with their productivity. In a sane world, the price of goods actually fall. But we don't live in a sane world. We live in a world that is manipulated by government and the Federal Reserve. And in our government-manipulated world of fiat currency, the government steals our purchasing power over time with rotten money. So, you know, maybe on Labor Day this year, perhaps instead of demanding a minimum wage or more unions or, you know, some kind of worker bill, perhaps we should demand sound money. That would ultimately make things much better, right? Now, you can have sound money. Gold and silver have served as sound money for centuries. You know, Aristotle listed four characteristics of sound money. It must be durable, portable, divisible, and have intrinsic value. Gold and silver possess all of these characteristics. I did an article over at shiftgold.com slash news this week highlighting the fact that gold is nature's money. And I'll link to that in the show notes. It explains exactly why gold and silver have served as money, why it is better money, and how sound money helps protect you from government basically stealing your purchasing power for their own benefit. Anyway, if you would like to get your hands on some sound money, in fact, you can even buy junk silver at Shift Gold. You can buy bags of old quarters, dimes, half dollars that are made of real silver. 
It's a thing. You can check it out on the website. But if you're interested in getting your hands on sound money, if you're interested in investing in sound money, if you're interested in purchasing gold or silver, getting precious metals into your portfolio, I highly recommend talking to a Shift Gold Precious Metals specialist. You can do that by calling 1-888-GOLD-160, or you can email info at shiftgold.com, or you can go to shiftgold.com, just go to the Getting Started tab, and you can click there, and you can actually chat online with the Precious Metals specialist and you know i've said it before one of the things that's great about shift gold is you get the personal touch you can go to one of these big gold companies and you maybe order online um you're probably going to pay higher premiums and you're not going to get the individualized service that you're going to get from the guys at shift gold so give them a call today again 1-888-GOLD-160 And that, my friends, is a gold wrap for this week. You can get more details on all of the things that I've talked about today and more. And, of course, keep up with the latest precious metals news and analysis throughout the week over at shipgold.com slash news. If you haven't done it already, you can subscribe to the Friday Gold Wrap over at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, the YouTube channel. All of the links for those things are on the show notes page. You can also find links to our social media channels there at shipgold.com slash news. You can email me, mmahari at shipgold.com, M-M-A-H-A-R-R-E-Y at shipgold.com. Love to hear from folks. I hope everybody enjoys your Labor Day weekend. Use it to get some sound money. I'll talk to you all next week. Thanks again for listening. I really appreciate it. Peace. Peace.